Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Hello, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show. It is a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Uh, We are on WABC Talk Radio every Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. Thank you so much for my regular listeners. I always say we have the smartest listeners in America on this great station. And thanks to John Katsimatidis for allowing me to do the show. It's the highlight of my week. And uh, it's an honor, by the way, to follow my great buddy, Larry Kudlow, uh, who does such a fantastic job on the same radio station. Well, we have a busy show today. I hope to be able to get to your calls at the end of the show, but I can't guarantee it because we have several really good guests coming up. But uh, in the meantime, I want to just give you a quick overview of what I think is going on with this U.S. economy. How do you feel about it? Are, are you as bullish on this economy as Joe Biden is? I mean, if you listen to Joe Biden's talk on uh, Tuesday night in the State of the Union, you'd think these are the days of wine and roses, you know, that everything is just going wonderfully for America. Um, I don't see it. I don't see it. Do you see it? Do you think that this country is on the right path? <laughs> you know, th- there are s- some positive signs in the economy, no question about it. It's a very positive jobs market right now. That's a good thing. But when I look at so many other indicators, when I look at what's happening at our border, what a disgrace. When I look at what's happening in crime in major cities, including New York, Washington, D.C., Seattle, Portland, my hometown of Chicago, it's just it's a disgrace what's happening. Um, Washington, D.C., by the way, the city council there just passed a resolution to basically decriminalize um, violent crime. And they had a vote in the U.S. Congress whether to approve those changes. And virtually every Democrat voted to, in the Congress, voted to uphold these um, soft-on-crime measures. Uh, and then I look at what's happening to our national debt. And we are now at $31 trillion, $31.5 trillion, I think is the official number. But I may be off by a little bit because the numbers keep accelerating so quickly I can't keep pace with them. Um, just to give you a a sense of how horrific that number is. When I first came to Washington in 1983 or 84, it was at near the end of 1983, the debt was 1.5 trillion. Here we are 30 some years later, and we are at um, 31.5 trillion with no end in sight. It was so interesting to me in that whole speech, Joe Biden couldn't talk about one thing that he wanted to cut out of our six and a half trillion dollar federal budget. Um, I find that to be incredibly financially irresponsible. He went on and on about how Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare. 
Um, there's no such plan. I think we do probably need a plan to rein in the costs of these massive um, entitlement programs, because if we don't do something soon, our whole federal budget will be three programs, Social Security, Medicare, and interest on the debt. Did you know in six years, we will be spending more money on interest on the debt than our entire national security? I mean, the whole function, the most primary function of our federal government is our national security to keep us safe from, you know, foreign harm. And yet we now have a situation where we have to shrink our military budget so we can pay not for government services, but just interest on the debt. Now, I want to quickly remind listeners that last week at, at about this exact same time, I made a prediction to you all that Joe Biden would repeat six lies or he would recite six lies in his State of the Union address. And um, I think I got all six right, maybe five and a half out of six. And I want to really quickly recite to you the uh, fabrications of the truth that came out of Joe Biden's mouth. First, Joe Biden said that he inherited a, a an economy in ruins from Donald Trump. No, he didn't. It's just factually untrue. In fact, in the last six months of Donald Trump's presidency, the economy grew by almost 11 percent, which is a gigantic rate of growth. We were coming out of covid. We were reopening our businesses. Thanks to Donald Trump, we had Operation Warp Speed vaccine that saved in my opinion, probably a million lives in the United States and easily 10 million lives around the world. Does Trump ever get credit for that, by the way? Do you ever see, I mean, Joe Biden takes times to take credit for the vaccine, which was developed by Donald Trump. Now, that original vaccine saved a lot of lives. I don't think we probably need more vaccines now because the uh, COVID is, is so much milder than the original strains. Um, the economy grew 11% when Joe Biden came into office, and we've had slower growth, not faster growth. Number two, Joe Biden said that he has lowered inflation. Well, how did he, how, how, how is that so when the inflation is six and a half percent today, when it was 1.5 percent under Donald Trump? Well, he said, well, it was nine percent, but he's the one who took it up to nine percent. You know, so he's taking credit for taking the, inflation rate up to its highest level in 40 years in this country, causing three to $4,000 of income losses to Americans. And now he's saying, isn't this a wonderful thing? We only have a six and a half percent inflation. <laughs> That's still one of the highest rates we've had in 35 or 40 years. I'll mention another one. He has said that he is bringing the deficit down. Now I explained this last week, but for those who were not listening to me last week, I want to repeat this because it is such a bold faced uh, statistical illusion. What what happened was when Biden came in, he started spending money like no president in history. He is easily the most financially responsible, irresponsible president we've had in at least my lifetime. And I'm 62 years old. And the debt went the deficit went up to two point eight trillion in his first year, even though covid was over. Then his next year, 2022, he borrowed another one point four trillion. So that's four point two trillion dollars of borrowing in two years. And he's saying that he's reduced the deficit from the high of 2.8 trillion that he created to 1.4 trillion. As I said last week, that's like if you have a diet and you gain 40 pounds in one year and then the next year you gain only 20 more pounds and you say, I've reduced my 
uh, weight by 20 pounds. <laughs> what kind of logic is that? You're still really, really fat. And our uh, budget is still really, really out of control. I predicted that he would say that the, the border is, uh, is, uh, is secure. Uh, he sort of hinted at that. He didn't exactly say that. So I'm going to give myself a half a point for that one. But um, he said that the reason the border is out of control is because the Republicans won't pass his immigration reform. What immigration reform? He won't even finish completing the war, the wall that Trump, uh, we got 80 percent of the wall built and now uh, Biden won't complete it. We have had 2.4 million illegal immigrants in the last year. I'm very pro-immigrant. I think immigrants are great for our country. But ladies and gentlemen, we can't have criminals. We can't have coyotes. We can't have drug runners. We can't all have people that we don't even know coming into this country. Uh, and and that just is, is uh, I think, a disgrace. Uh, there were a couple of other, oh, the, the other two that I wanted to mention very quickly. Number one, he said that uh, that he is not against oil and gas development. He's not against it. But then in the next line, he said he wants to get rid of oil and gas in 10 years, which is, folks, fossil fuels are 75% of our energy today. No country in the world has more fossil fuels than the United States do. We have oil. We have gas. We have coal. We have 600 years worth of coal in this country. We should be using all of our energy in a clean and effective way. The idea that we're going to go to zero on fossil fuels, as I've said so many times, is is an outrageous assault on the American economy and prosperity. Um, and then finally, you may have heard uh, Joe Biden say that he has reduced the gas price. He said, look, out, gas prices are coming down. Well, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's look at what happened historically. Under Donald Trump, the month that he left office, the gas price, ladies and gentlemen, was, was $2, roughly $2.50 a gallon. So we give or take 10 or 15 cents a gallon, uh, depending on what area you live in. Then it went up, remember, to over $5 a gallon in many areas. And many of you living in the New York metropolitan area were paying, you know, $5.50 or $6 a gallon. Now it's come down nationally to three fifty a gallon, and he's taking a victory lap on that. When three fifty a gallon is still a very high historical price for gasoline, and it's a dollar more than when Donald Trump left office. So how is that reducing gas prices? Incidentally, most indications are that that gas prices will continue continue to rise this year. Now we don't know for sure, and I'm not going. I wouldn't bet my life on it. But most experts in the energy industry think that because China is now coming back online, that the price of gasoline will go up again. So the idea that we're not going to produce our oil and gas is crazy. Uh, it is a lunatic green energy environmental group uh, economic strategy that will strangle our economy. Look, I'm very hopeful that we can see a recovery, but I'm not convinced it's going to happen when we have a president who will not cut spending, he will not cut the debt, he will not secure the border, he will not get tough on crime, he wants to raise taxes, he wants more and more regulation. Um, tell me, where's the growth going to come from? Why would you be optimistic about the U.S. economy when almost everything that Donald Trump uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Donald Trump, everything Donald Trump did for the most part was good for the economy. I can't really point to virtually anything that Biden has done that has helped economic growth. And for young people, I hope young people are listening to the show. I know we have a lot of uh, people over the age of 50 listening to the show. But for young people, you're the ones who are going to get destroyed. Your future is imperiled 
by what Joe Biden has done. I, you know, it's so amazing to me, by the way, that young people, you know, Biden does did very well with the young voters. And I'm like, are you are you young people? Do you understand economics? This debt, this thirty one and a half trillion dollars debt that is rising by two trillion dollars a year. I'm not going to pay that debt. I'm 60, I'm 62 years old. I'm going to be dead in probably 20, 25 years. Um, if you're over the age of 50 or 60, you're not going to pay for this debt. It's going to be your kids and grandkids. They're the ones who are going to pay for this. And they still continue to vote for policies that are going to bankrupt our country. So I'm sorry. I don't, I don't feel the love. And you know who else doesn't feel the love for this economy? Most of you listening to this show. A poll came out Monday. I think it was Monday. It was sometime in the last seven or eight days. And it was one of the major networks. It was either CBS or NBC. 61% of Americans, the economy is bad. And you know why they do? Because Americans are feeling it in the pocketbook. The average American is $3,500 poorer because of Joe Biden's policies. I'm not buying it. We need change. We need to cut the budget. We need prosperity. We need free enterprise. We need liberty. We need freedom. We need a flat tax. We need policies that will make America grow. And bashing American businesses, folks, is not the way to do it. I'm Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show. Thanks so much, uh, folks. We've got a great show for the next 45 minutes. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back with the pains to talk about the uh, financial situation that we're facing right now and how to make some money in these turbulent times. The latest news, behind-the-scenes videos. Get it all now. Like 77 WABC on Facebook. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. This is More Money. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station in America. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Now it is time for our finance and money section where I turn to two of the best in the business at uh, 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 Brian and Bob Payne at at, uh, Payne Capital Management. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. A lot to cover today. I want to start, if I may, uh, and ask you all a question that I get asked so often by my listeners, which has to do with the inverted yield curve. And many people say that the inverted yield curve, and, and and if you'd explain to people what that means, a lot of people say this is the biggest signal for a recession, and yet right now it certainly doesn't like look like a recession at this moment. So how do you respond to people who say the inverted yield curve means that we are going to head into a recession and a bad stock market? Well, you know, Steve, in every business cycle you do have a recession. Um, and when you have an inverted yield curve, that which simply means that short-term rates are much higher than if you were to invest in a 10-year 
bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the inversion says that, you know, there's probably going to be a slowdown in the economy or maybe a recession, but it doesn't tell you when. It might be three yeah, months right. from now, three years from now, five years from now. But uh, I think this time what the inverted yield curve is telling us is that inflation's coming down. Yeah, you know what? I think that's true. And will you, either of you, Bob, you or Ryan, explain the lie? I don't even really understand the logic of why an inverted yield curve would suggest a recession. Because I agree with you. I think the major takeaway I um, derived from from the fact that the you know ten year Treasury is uh, has a lower interest rate than say the two year is because exactly what you said that the expectations by investors of inflation are coming down, which is a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, right. That's what we've been waiting for. And you know, we had finally had Jerome Powell acknowledge that we have disinflationary pressure, uh, or I guess lack of pressure. We have de- deflation coming. Um, he said it like 11 times in his speech last week, but we've been waiting for a long time. So do I think in, in this case, Steve, to your point, it's probably a positive, not a negative, because um, we know the Federal Reserve is going to continue to potentially raise short-term rates. But with long-term rate coming down, that eases the overall economy. And again, we know we have a hot job market. So this is the combination that we've been hoping for. And, you know, essentially the soft landing that we've kind of insinuated we think we're going to have. It looks like that's the direction we're going. Yeah, and a lot I think of times, that, Steve, the thinking is that, you know, as, as short rates go up, it means the banks have to borrow at a higher rate. And then as, you know, longer rates go down, that they're lending at a lower rate. So it slows down the economy because banks don't want to lend. But what's happening right. now is the banks aren't paying anything on their deposits, so they're getting away right. with it. And meanwhile, lending is, is really robust right now. A great point. And is that true even in the mortgage market? Yeah, mortgage market's been uh, recovering. You know, we had a little bit of a slowdown because rates went up, but we're starting right. to see a, a big jump in mortgage applications again. That's amazing. So I want to just make sure that our listeners understand the difference between um, disinflation and deflation, because I think people get confused. Now, disinflation, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but disinflation means inflation is coming down, right? And deflation means that that you actually have prices falling. And am I right in that distinction? You're absolutely correct, Steve. And then, yeah, uh, and then, and- Okay, Craig, why don't you jump in? Let's go back and forth. Steve, you're absolutely right. Disinflation means that inflation is coming down. Now, deflation is something that we saw back in the 20s, right, in the Great Depression. Right. Prices right. collapse. And, right. uh, you know, anyone who survived, like our, our parents' generation who went through that, that scarred them for life. But we know that right now inflation is coming down because our Federal Reserve chairman said disinflation 11 times a week ago Wednesday. He's my hero mm-hmm. now, Steve. Right, right. And so disinflation is <laughs> well, a good thing. Deflation is a bad thing. Well said. Perfectly said, Steve. I, I like that. That's the best definition right there. And, you know, the, the irony of all of this is, is Jerome Powell got a lot of heat for saying that inflation was going to be transitory. Transitory. And guess what? It looks like it's going to be transitory <laughs> after all of that. Right. Well, so, it took them, it took them long enough. <laughs> yeah, a year and a half later. But uh, I think there's some true. truth to that. Now, yeah. now let's get to then um, stocks. We we see that uh, this past week, it's been a pretty good week for the Dow. And yet uh, NASDAQ is still 
a roller coaster ride. I just can't. I mean, I can't keep uh, one day it goes up 200, the next day it falls by 50. I mean, what what do you attribute this herky jerky um, Nasdaq market to? Well, a lot of it has to do with interest rates, right? Because when rates go up, that's very bad right. for technology stocks, and the Nasdaq has a lot in technology because their earnings are so far out in the future. So the rationale is if well, if I can get a much better rate shorter term uh, on a Treasury bond or, or something that's safe. Well, you know, you need to be compensated for that with your tech stocks, and that's why they came down so much. But now with interest rates coming down a little bit, we're starting to see tech stocks readjust upwards again. Um, but, you know, keep this in mind here, right? The NASDAQ is up like 16, 15, 16% this year. It's still down 20% from the highs. So mm-hmm. technology is still way down, even with this magnificent move up. That's an important point because it's not like tech here all of a sudden is off to the races. And so the um, you have a situation now where I was looking at some of the index of leading indicators, and most of them are still pointing south, not north. And yet, um, you know, we still have a kind of bullish market right now. And the, one of the reasons I really love having you guys on the show is because of your, you know, be bullish uh, mantra. Uh, you're still bullish, right? And I wonder what you think the best kind of investment strategy is now in these kind of turbulent, uncertain times. Well, you know, I think that your your point about volatility is spot on. It's been very volatile this year, but it was very volatile last year. It's one of the yeah. most 1% up or down days I've ever seen in my career. <laughs> right, and it's continuing, right? right? Yeah, but this is what this generally signals. It generally signals that there's going to be a leadership change in the market. What that means is over the last 10 years, you know, you could close your eyes and buy any tech stock and make money. Right. Well, I don't think it's going to be tech leading us forward, Steve. I think you're going to see blue chip stocks with good dividends, mm-hmm. you know, companies that have big moats around their businesses, international because the dollar's starting to weaken. So there's plenty of opportunity to invest shrewdly in this market right now where you get good valuations, good dividend yields. And the market's telling you this is not the same stock market in the last 10 years. You've got to have the portfolio for the next 10 years. Ryan, do you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, I get tired of hearing about it's the Fed and all those Fed officials that just can't seem to be off camera. Um, and, you know, I think what's <laughs> happening with the Fed is important. But I think, you know, it's like, come on, no more, no more. But I think, you know, we're at a point now where we kind of know what the Fed's going to do. They may raise interest rates a little bit more. They may keep rates higher a little longer, but what no one's talking about is the reopening of China. And it's the second largest economy in the world, and they have the same $2 trillion sitting in their bank accounts that we did two years ago that they're going to spend on the global economy. It's a huge catalyst, and everyone benefits when the Chinese are spending. And that's one of the biggest reasons why you've got to be an investor right now. To Bob's point, you have to have the right portfolio um, because disproportionately, Europe actually benefits from – those Chinese consumers, but we're all going to benefit from that. Another reason why you've got to be invested. You can't be sitting on the sidelines. That's Ryan Payne of, of Payne Capital Management and uh, Bob Payne. And uh, Ryan, you and I are our TV buddies. We've appeared many times on Maria Bartiroma's show on Fox Business News uh, together. I hope that we have, we do that again sometime soon. Uh, gentlemen, a great analysis. Uh, 
Thank you very much. That's Ryan and Bob Payne of Payne Capital Management. I'll be right back. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. Hey, and if you're thinking to yourself right now, okay, we get it. The world's not ending right now. I need to get my retirement plan in check. Well, here's your shot to do it. If you've saved over a million dollars, Bob and I will run for your total financial master plan. We keep 10 slots open for the whole show. If you qualify, we'll run our total financial master plan. We'll do it at no cost. There's no firm out there that literally does this work up front for you. We will build you your own personalized financial portal, give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial picture, and just hone in on every issue you need to address today. Do you have that income plan for retirement? Do you know how you're going to draw from your portfolio? Take Social Security, factor in inflation. Your cost is going to double over the next 20 years because of inflation. Is that factored into your income plan? Well, we're going to give you a dynamic one so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Did you get hit hard last year as technology stocks went down big? Or were you just sitting in cash with your money earning nothing while inflation's been at a 40-year high? We're going to put together a full investment game plan to make sure not only do you grow your money, but you protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Most Wall Street products are high cost, like those annuities, mutual funds, brokerage products, structure products. We're going to go through every single investment you own, show you where all the high costs are, show you how to reduce that cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You're going to get our full tax playbook. Literally have 10 slots open. If you've saved over a million dollars, Bob and I will run our total financial master plan for you with no obligation or cost. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next 10 callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will create for you your own unique total financial master plan. There's no obligation. There's no cost. No strings attached. You won't have a plan. You don't text or call right now. 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. So, Bob, you know at our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. We're a boutique firm here out of New York City, and we have an office in Philadelphia and Jacksonville. You know, sometimes when a client starts working with us, it can be their first time working with a financial professional. So I thought we could talk about some of the reasons why you may be building your financial plan, your retirement plan on your own, and what we found are some of the catalysts to start actually working with a financial advisor. And I think a lot of times one of the rationale, Bob, is it's not that hard. I can do this on my own. It's not a big deal. Well, you know, Rye, the markets aren't that hard. Because it's so easy, all you have to do is get in. But sometimes it's hard getting in, right? I mean, over the last 15 years, we've had a pandemic. We've had a bear market. We've had ups and downs and negative news. Um, it's been one of the scariest times to be an investor. And it's sometimes very difficult to stay invested. It's always good to have somebody there helping you along. Well, also to manage the risk, because I think what happened last year, and even if you were working with a financial professional, you learned, wait a second, I took way more risk than I thought I was taking. That's something we've heard a lot with a lot of the newer clients that have come into our firm is sometimes you get overweighted in, like we said, technology last year. The NASDAQ was down 30%. However, had you had a properly diversified portfolio, you didn't get hit that hard last year. 
And I think that's one of the biggest issues that you probably have with your portfolio today is you're taking more risk than you should be. But the problem is you don't know that risk until hindsight, until actually the markets go down. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, Bob, I'm totally in a bad spot now. Well, you know, Rye, risk is only truly recognized in hindsight. And I think that's what happened to a lot of amateur investors, a lot of do-it-yourselfers. According to the Wall Street Journal last weekend, there were a lot of millennials, a lot of individuals that found investing suddenly was exciting. It was easy. It was fun. Um, and they ran their portfolios into the millions only to lose it all. Not a little bit, but to lose it all because yeah. they didn't understand leverage. They didn't understand the risk of yeah. something that, you know, they didn't truly uh, recognize as risky. So a lot of times when you have yeah. someone who can help you, you know, have an advisor, they prevent you from, you know, making those big mistakes, which, you know, in some cases you never recover from. Yeah, and the stakes get higher as you get closer to retirement, right? If you're five years out or 10 years out or you're in retirement now, you just can't afford to have that kind of volatility in your portfolio like you could in your 30s and 40s when you're working and you're just socking the money away. So risk management, I can't stress it enough, and this is one of the things we look at, is one of the most important things you can do right now to solidify your retirement. You know, one of the other beefs that I hear is, well, I'd work with a financial advisor, but they cost too much. But the irony is, you know, we do a full cost analysis of the portfolios that we review each month. And even if you're working by yourself, because the internal costs you don't see a lot of times are more expensive. You actually reduce cost working with a financial professional if you really knew what you're being charged anyway. Well, I think this is the question every single one of you need to ask yourself right now. Do I know what I own and do I know why I own it? And do I know what it's cost to me to own that? Because if you have an advisor or a salesperson who told you there's no cost, there's no fees, you know, everything's taken care of by the insurance company or by the firm, then you have a very expensive portfolio. You need to get a second opinion. It's amazing how well they hide the cost, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we literally have a black belt in finding fees because – and then if you have a financial professional, we'll call them that, that says, well, we're not charging you anything – you know, don't walk away, run away, because you're probably being charged even more. So it is important to know where those hidden costs are. It's important to know what you're paying on your portfolio overall. And a lot of times you can reduce that cost significantly, increase the income, which can be a huge boon to you in retirement. Increasing your income and lowering your costs are two of the most important things you can do to solidify your retirement. Hey, right. It's just not about the cost. It's about how about paying unnecessary taxes? There was a great article in a journal just a couple of weeks ago saying, hey, I lost my shirt last year in the stock market. Why do I owe the IRS so much money? How's that possible? Yeah, because a lot of these investments will still pay out capital gains, even if you have a loss on your portfolio, right? So, you know, taxes are probably one of the most important areas you have to address. And it's funny, it's always those little tweaks you make, right? A lot of mutual funds that you own, they pay out taxes every year, even if you lost money. That's crazy, so just moving from what we call mutual fund to an exchange-traded fund. In fact, if you have mutual funds on your portfolio right now, go back to your advisor and ask them, why do I own these archaic, tax-inefficient vehicles? Um, there's so many better ways to do it now. So really understanding taxes, and there's a lot of new tax advantages, Bob, that were passed at the end of the year, and I'm pretty confident most of us don't know what they are and we're not utilizing them. But having someone point out the tax benefits can be hundreds of thousands of dollars in your pocket in retirement that aren't going to the IRS, but you have to know what they are. 
You know, right? It's not just the client. It's just their children and their grandchildren. You know, I just sat down with a bunch of the client's children the other day, and, and they were putting money into a 401k. Way to go. Great, great, great idea. But they weren't putting it into a Roth 401k. And it's going to mean literally millions of dollars in difference when they're age 65 as opposed to today. So, you know, if you don't, you don't know what you don't know, it's always smart to have an advisor let you know what you don't know so you can take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, if you're thinking right now, I don't know what I don't know. Well, here's your shot to do it. We still have four slots left. We're going to keep them open for the rest of the show. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for you our total financial master plan. It's our famous plan. We'll do it with no obligation or cost. There's no firm out there that will do this work up front for free. We literally build you your own personalized financial portal, give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial picture, just hone in on every issue you need to address today for retirement. You know you need an income plan for retirement, how to draw from your portfolio, how to take Social Security, how to factor in inflation. Your costs will double over the next 20 years because of inflation. We'll put together a full dynamic income plan so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Last year was a very volatile year in the stock market. Were you taking more risk than you thought you were taking? Or have you been sitting in cash earning nothing on your money, paralysis by analysis, because there's so much uncertainty out there? Bob and I put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street just loves to sell you high-cost products that have lots of fees that are very tax inefficient, like those annuities, insurance products, brokerage products, mutual funds, structured products. We go through every investment you own, a deep dive, show you how to reduce the cost on all those hidden costs in your portfolio and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make, it's what you take. We give you our full tax playbook. We have four slots left if you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement plan. All you have to do is text or call 844, sorry, 32. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, don't miss out. We only have four openings left. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will create for you your own unique total financial master plan. Now, there's no cost or obligation, but you won't have a plan if you're not one of our next four callers. So call right now, 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Bob Payne, Chief Investment Strategist, here at Payne Capital Management with this week's market update. This week on the Street of Dreams, all three major indices finished lower for the first time since December, with the NASDAQ snapping a five-week winning streak. Markets appear to be digesting the previous month's gains, as stocks had enjoyed a strong start to the year. All three indexes finished January higher, including an 11% rise in the NASDAQ in part because investors had expected the Fed to end its campaign to raise interest rates and eventually lower them. Last month brought plenty of affirmation for stock market bulls, with lots of favorable data releases and a more dovish-sounding Federal Reserve chairman. The data depicted an economy that is not headed for a recession, but to the surprise of many, remaining quite robust amid signs of disinflation. Economic developments have been mostly positive and well-received by the markets, and have exceeded even this optimist's 
expectations. The only unhappy investors this year have been the Debbie Downers, the Perma Bears, and other pessimists who are convinced that 2023 will be as bad or worse than 2022 for the economy and for the market. Truth be told, I can't recall a happier batch of economic indicators than the ones that came out over the past few weeks. Consider the following. Lots of jobs filled and still open. The December JOLTS report showed there were 1.9 jobs for each unemployed person. The economy added 517,000 jobs last month as the employment rate fell to 3.4%, the lowest since 1969. There's plenty of purchasing power with wages and salaries climbing. January's auto sales jumped to 16.2 million units from 13.6 during December, while the services PMI rebounded to 55.2 from 49, signaling expansion. And the housing market may be bottoming as mortgage rates have edged down and home prices are falling. The pending existing home sales index edged up in December, and the new housing market index did the same during January. So bottom line, the economic news is not aligned with the perma bears narrative for the economy or the market. Perhaps it's time for the pessimists to heed the advice of English economist John Maynard Keynes, who so famously said, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? Hey, my son Ryan and I, we have 68 years of combined industry experience of building low-cost, tax-efficient, goal-based portfolios. For your free evaluation, all you need to do is text or call right now at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply give us a call at 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, this is Bob Payne. I'm the Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show on WBC Talk Radio. I want to get right down to it. I have two fabulous guests uh, who are going to talk about what's going on with the American economy and what's going on a little bit in Washington. Uh, John Tillman. A longtime friend is the president and founder of the Illinois Policy Institute and uh, no sharper political mind that I know of than John's. And my other guest is Alfredo Ortiz, who is the president of the Indispensable Job Creators Network, which is the number one small business association in America that really represents the interests of America's um, millions of small business men and women who are the lifeblood of our economy. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining. Uh, John Tillman, I would like to start with you, if I may. Um, I had a discussion earlier on Larry Kudlow's radio show, which comes on before this one, and we were talking about the urban demise in America of blue cities, every city from New York to Newark to San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, and one of the cities at the top of the list, unfortunately, is Chicago. And what is going on, John? Why is it that 
um, people can't the, the, the progressives have ruined these cities. What needs to be done to fix America's cities? Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve, for having me on. And the, there's three things a city has to do, or really any governmental entity has to do, but particularly in urban America, uh, yeah. you, have to provide, you have to provide jobs and opportunity for prosperity for a family or a community or individuals. Mm-hmm. You have right. to provide public safety, and you have to yeah. allow children to get a good education. Chicago and many of these Democrat, woke, progressive cities have failed in every single one of these counts. And the reason they're failing is because they have, they have cited the political leaders this is if ever there was a failure of political elite running the cities, this is it. Because what they have done is sided with the radical sh- social justice warriors who see mm-hmm. everything through group identity and everything through systemic racism, and that all aspects of policing, uh, community involvement, the things that create uh, knit a, fa- a city together and create a fabric of a community, they mm-hmm. have rejected all of that. Whether it's the family, good education prosperous businesses, in general public safety. The woke left has rejected all of it. The political to, leaders have John, bought into it. To, to, to what end? I mean, why? Well, I believe that part of their strategy, and it is, uh, I, I, it's hard to dispute this, even though it's a, a scary thing to say, I think they want some chaos. And I think the evidence is the 2020 riots that were well-planned. Uh-huh. They were prepared for those riots in advance, and they wanted the disruption of civil society. And when you start to have a breakdown of civil society, as we have in Chicago and other large urban areas, people mm-hmm. who are desperate to ha- live a better and safer life will reach out to anyone who offers a solution. I believe this is a pathway they believe they can aggregate power and actually ever greater mm-hmm. power to the central state, whether it's a city or a state or the federal government. Well, I agree with uh, your prognosis of these uh, cities, uh, the diagnosis, that is. And I would only add to that something that you and I have talked a lot about is the, the schools are just despicable in the, in the inner cities. And, and so uh, I think that's another reason you're seeing people leave. And what, before I turn to Alfredo, I wanted to mention one other thing, John. I'd like your reaction to this. You know, all the studies of the census data that are showing people leaving blue cities um, for states like Florida and Texas and Tennessee and Idaho and Utah, it it looks like what's happening, I find this fascinating, is like a city of Chicago is losing its black population. Remember, for 100 years, the migration was from the south to these urban cities in the northeast, and now it looks like it's a reverse where where people are actually moving, and and especially African-Americans, moving back to the south. This is one of the great untold stories of the country's history. Uh, The Ku Klux Klan and Jim Crow was a product of the Democratic South. They invented it. They enforced it. And it wasn't until Republicans, primarily northern Republicans, uh, worked with reform-minded Democrats, also mostly from the north, to pass the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and begin to change the narrative. When you had the great political reset in the south and uh, the south started to vote Republican, it took the Republican Party and, frankly, conservatism – which is the most open, pluralistic, welcoming uh, uh, movement and, and um, belief system in the country to purge the Jim Crow, the racist mm-hmm. Democrat South. And now you have an African-American Republican senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott. You have numerous examples, example after example of the South, of African-Americans running in Southern districts and winning with majority white voters. And now what you see, ironically, is that in northern, frankly, racist-run cities by Democrat governments in places like Chicago and other other locations around the north, they're abandoning those supposedly Democrat uh, friends to go and live in Republican-run states where they have more safety, 
more opportunity and better education Amazing. for the children. This story has not been told as well as it needs to be. And it's, it's, it's accelerating. That's the thing that's so interesting. Uh, Alfredo, I want to uh, ask you about the economy and the State of the Union. But before I do, I wonder if you have any reaction to what we've been talking about in terms of the demise of so many of our great urban cities. Obviously, small businesses are critical to our the functioning of our cities and the financing of our cities and the jobs in our cities. But small businesses are just getting overwhelmed in these blue cities with high taxes, high regulation, a kind of anti-business sentiment among the political leaders in these cities. And I wonder if you're finding that with your members. Yeah, Steve. I mean, absolutely. Especially amongst our small businesses, like you said, I mean, from, you know, from Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon, all the way over to the East coast. I mean, uh, we are seeing these small businesses just being crushed, not only by, you know, what Biden is doing in terms of inflation, but city local officials, which aren't doing anything regarding crime. Uh, the crime is really impacting these. And it's, in, in fact, impacting a lot of minority small business owners uh, tremendously. And so yeah. a, a lot of these are either closing up shop or looking at moving. Yeah. I'm moving. Oh, amazing. OK, let's turn to the. State of the Union, and I don't necessarily mean the president's speech, but we can talk about that. But just the overall State of the Union, uh, I, the reason I'm so appreciative, Alfredo, that you've come on is I just think there's nobody who has their finger on the pulse of what's happening with our small businesses than you do. By the way, just spend a, spend a minute, if you wouldn't mind, telling people about Job Creators Network and what is the overall um sentiment of your members about the conditions of America? Is it as good as Joe Biden says it is? <laughs> no, 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 Steve. In fact, I think that night I actually saw pigs fly um, uh, because, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it was just lie after lie. In fact, uh, I did a piece uh, that outlined seven of the biggest lies. Um, you know, one of them was actually the take-home pay, for example, has gone up. I mean, we, you and I have talked a lot about this. I mean, right. real wages keep falling. They've fallen nearly every month for two years, um, you know, straight. And in, and in fact, uh, you know, with inflation rising 50% faster than average wages, I mean, uh, the, the truth is that Americans are getting poor. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, with respect to the businesses what is because you talk to you know America's small businessmen and women yeah. every day? I mean, what 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 are they telling you? Well, the inflation, first of all, is just killing these guys. Killing, I mean, they're yeah, still having right. issues with that, of course. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, every time you know I visit a grocery store, I mean, prices keep increasing over you know uh, over and over. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, every time I go in there, a loaf of bread keeps going up. It seems like fifty cents. So. Uh, you know, I mean, it is really hurting the average Americans. The small business owners, though, just can't keep up with this inflation. Uh, they have no choice but to now raise prices. But, of course, you know, in many cases, you can only raise prices when you're a small business so much before, quite, you know, the, the, the American consumer, which is price sensitive, just stops buying you or stops visiting your services. So um, this is a real, real issue for uh, our small businesses. And apparently Joe Biden thinks that everything is hunky-dory and looks wonderful and there's no need to adjust anything he's doing. And inflation's actually coming down and it's, you know, the best job growth he's ever, you know, that any president has ever presided, presided over with 12 million new jobs, which, again, you and I have talked about this. It's really more like 2.7 million new jobs because, uh, you know, most of those were just jobs that were backfilled post-pandemic. That's right. 
That's right. By the way, I had a conversation with the that by the way, that's Alfredo Ortiz, who's the fabulous uh, president and founder of Job Creators Network, which is the number one small business group in America. If you own a small business or a medium sized business, right, Alfredo, you should join the yeah. Job Creators Network because so, so many of these organizations in, Wa- in Washington, like the Chamber of Commerce, Alfredo, get captured by the Washington establishment. I don't know if it's they're drinking the water, but sometimes they're espousing positions that are not, not in the interest of the people they're supposed to be representing. Yeah, it, it's a real shame. I mean, the chamber could have an opportunity, the U.S. chamber could have an opportunity to really fight for small businesses uh, in particular, which, you know, as you know, I mean, it creates two-thirds of new job growth in the hands of small businesses. So the health of small business is so critical to the health of our economy. Um, that's why when President Trump passed the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which you and I really worked hard at, uh, especially the small business uh, component, uh, the 20% tax deduction and the immediate expensing, those were so important to make sure that our small businesses could thrive in this country. And now all that's being pulled back, as you know, uh, they're already, uh, um, uh, you know, the immediate expensing is already ticking out. Uh, and both of those provisions uh, will uh, will expire at the end of 2024. So, John Tillman, um, you uh, obviously have uh, have a, were the leading free market organization in the state of Illinois, which is a blue state. Um, it, some people just say it's hopeless that, you know, we can't fix a state like Illinois. Some people say we're, you know, our flagship here for this station is New York and people more and more think that. New York is hopeless. I don't know if you saw the piece in the Wall Street Journal that shows that, you know, New York spends twice as much per person as Florida does on their government, and yet they have worse government services than Florida does. And I I, I would like to see Illinois in that analysis because I think they probably spend a lot more money per person than Florida does as well. How do we turn – Is are the blue states hopeless? Are the blue cities hopeless? Probably not, or you wouldn't be – have started this organization, but what needs to be done to fix these cities? Well, two questions there. So is it hopeless and what needs to be done? First of all, it's not hopeless. And one of the reasons it's not hopeless is because people, American citizens, are not static creatures who never change and evolve. It's very hard to get people to evolve their thinking. But we talked in the earlier segment all about the South and how the South has evolved. And and, And what I think is always interesting is in 2004, George W. Bush lost Illinois by 10 points without trying at all, never really making a material effort there, never spending a dime. Four four years later, and the the Republican establishment said it's lost forever, and they've given up, and they have not tried to compete at the presidential level uh, ever since. And I do understand scarcity of resources, but here's the point. Four years later, John McCain beats um, uh, Barack Obama in Texas by 12 points, and the Democrats said Texas is gettable, and they've been investing in Texas Year after year after year, and Donald Trump barely won re-election in Texas. It was much closer than people remember. Meanwhile, in New York, the state you just cited, Lee Zeldin almost took out the incumbent, uh, obviously appointed governor, because the voters of New York are not static. They're fed up with the reality of the governance the radicalized Democrats are giving them. And our greatest hope, actually, as tragic as it is, is that their ideas harm people. And people eventually recognize that and choose a better path. And I think that will happen in the red, uh, the blue states that have a shot, whether it's in two or four or eight years of turning red. The thing that kind of I, I agree with a lot of what you said, but I may be a little bit more pessimistic because I don't understand why it is that you see, you know, 90 to 95 percent of black Americans voting for the very politicians 
that are destroying their cities and states. A good example is uh, you have a big um, mayor's race in Chicago. But, you know, I would make the case that Lightfoot is probably the worst mayor in America. And yet she's still in the running <laughs> to be reelected. And I get so frustrated. It's like, why do you keep encouraging these same politicians? Uh, what 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 is it going to take for Republicans to convince minorities that the free enterprise system is what really is in their best interest? Well, there's there's two parts to that. Again, one part is Republicans actually have to devote, devote more energy and effort into making that argument to the African American community, the Latino community, and those communities. And right. when they do, as a, especially the Latino community, when they do, yeah. obviously Governor DeSantis, Governor Abbott. Both of those uh, governors have demonstrated that when you make an effort at sustained, permanent, genuine outreach, voters listen and they move. It happens over and over again. So that needs to happen yeah, in the yeah. African-American community. But the, the second part of, uh, of this is that we are in a propaganda war, Steve. The left right. continues to control the commanding heights of information of our American <laughs> narrative. And we have really uh, made huge inroads in starting to compete. But all of our uh, incredible donors and investors and our practitioners on the right need to invest and competing for mindshare because most voters vote the way you're Wait, compete, to competing for what Sorry, for mindshare we, you know we're, we're, what, we're what in a war mean? of words that means that we're, it's a competition for ideas right people are indoctrinated right. by the propaganda the, right. i mean i'm sorry the new york times the washington post propaganda right, right? they are right. being indoctrinated on a daily basis with their news feeds from the establishment corporate media and the establishment you know corporate communications k-12 through right. education the left controls those we need to build competing assets so that we can compete to sell them, meaning the public and the minorities in particular, that our ideas are the best way to find human fulfillment and human flourishing. So, Alfredo, I, th- I think you are uh, uh, Hispanic, um, and the Republicans are doing a lot better with the Hispanic voters than they are with black voters. And I wonder what your thoughts are about how Republicans can get this kind of freedom message that, and convince voters who are minorities that, in fact, it's the issues that we care about, school choice, uh, is, uh, you know, pro-small business, uh, fiscal responsibility, better schools, um, fighting crime on the streets. Why aren't Republicans doing a better job of getting that message across? Yeah, and I think, uh, Steve, John is actually absolutely right on, on his points as well. I mean, I want to expand on some of those. In fact, um, you know, from a messaging standpoint, if we start there, Steve, uh, the, Republican, the Republican Party has horrible messaging discipline um, uh, for, when it comes to that. I mean, we have to consistently, uh, and whether it's to you know minority groups or to whites, uh, mm-hmm. I don't care to whom, but we have to mm-hmm. consistently convey a vision. Um, I'd like to highlight because we all, you know, we've heard about Governor Abbott and DeSantis, but I have to tell you, if you look at what Governor Yunkin did in Virginia, right? He articulated a clear vision of what this party or what he was for, not what he's mm-hmm. against, and that's all we always tend to focus on is here's what we're against, but we never really articulate right. clearly what we're for. And I think Governor Yunkin is a prime example of that. Look at the the votes he got. He got 54 percent of the Hispanic vote. Amazing. Um, amazing. Amazing. Which, Absolutely which, which, amazing. Which, which is truly amazing, right? And so, and, and this, he, he did equally well with blacks, Asians. Why? Because he focused on something that actually mattered, first of all, to parents, which is, you know, education. But he also, I think, articulated a vision that made sense to them. 
Um, and if we only stuck to this kind of messaging discipline across the country, and even if in Illinois, I think part of the reason why we're not doing better, for example, with, with uh, black voters in Illinois, is again, we don't articulate a vision that mm. shows how, how they can actually get out of the situation that they're in, um, and that there so is a different way. So I get frustrated, uh, John. I don't know if you, either of you saw the story that um, in Washington, D.C., where the, uh, the city council voted to essentially – I'm not making this up. They eventually – they basically are um, decriminalizing violent crime in Washington, D.C., which is a one of the biggest problems with the city. And by the way, the people who are the victims of those crimes – are mostly minorities and mostly black Americans. So do you think the crime issue is something that, and look, I know, I understand there are a lot of bad cops out there and there are a lot of, uh, you know, I don't know how many, but there are racist cops. But the fact is that minorities are the ones who are primarily victimized by the crime spree in these cities. Steve, this is such an interesting thing. By the way, I don't know if you've heard yet, but the uh, U.S. Congress, the House, overrode yeah, that. Uh, yeah, but, but the Democrats, I, yeah, but John, most Democrats voted, to, you know, to keep the, no. in, in other words, we were able to pass it, but I don't understand why Democrats are voting for criminals. I, well, I don't either, but I, I think what's interesting about it is remember what the logic case is. Well, the, the Democrats are voting for this because they've been captured by the most radical part of their ra- radical aspect of their coalition, which is the woke progressive extremists. They've been captured by that. The extreme social justice warriors who see everything through the group identity lens, lens, who see everything through systemic racism, they have been captured by that. That's who controls the nominating process in Democrat primaries, and they're all terrified to go against that yeah. because they have a disproportionate control disproportionate control of the primary that, process. Yeah. So they've all moved left. That's why. But the, the point you're making is think about it. For every bad cop, and there are bad cops, we all acknowledge that, but for every, and it all has to be addressed, but for every one bad cop who does something wrong, there are 50 or 100 criminals in the urban areas that are completing or executing violent crime against minorities. They have it all out of proportion, and we need to tell that story better. So uh, we've only got a minute left, Alfredo. I just would love your kind of parting thoughts here. But also, will you let our listeners know how they can find out more information about Job Creators Network? I'm on the board for full disclosure, but I love the work you guys do in terms of advocating for small businessmen and women. Um, So some final thoughts. We've got one minute left. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we, we have to do more for our small businesses, Steve, as you know, across the country. Uh, that's why New Gingrich and I released a plan at the end of last year. It's called the American Small Business Prosperity Plan. Uh, they can go to uh, uh, joinjcn.com uh, or jobcreatorsnetwork.com to find out more. But it's a simple eight-point plan that lays out uh, what we heard from our small business owners and from polling, uh, the eight critical elements that we have awesome. to do uh, to improve small businesses. That's uh, Alfredo Ortiz of Job Creators Network, John Tillman from the Illinois Policy Institute. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking some time out of your uh, your uh, Saturday afternoon. I'll be right. Uh, well, I will be back next week for the More Money Show. Have a great weekend, folks, and a great Saturday afternoon. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. 
Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.